First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 127 called Claire. All right, guys. So today I'm going to tell you about my friend Claire, who I met through email. And I'm going to read you the email, just the first part of the email that she sent me. She said, Allie, I found such solace in listening to your podcast and would love to be able to speak about my journey. My husband Trevor is open as well. After spending almost 11 hours round trip in the car, traveling from where I live in Virginia to the Philadelphia area for an IVF nurse consult, I listened to your podcast the entire time. 11 hours, you guys. I felt so compelled to reach out. I feel like my journey could help someone even if it's only one person. So we started emailing. She told me what was going on and here is her story today. So just a brief recap, she's going to talk about her IUIs her fresh IVF transfer, being part of a blind clinical trial, which is really interesting, how the whole thing took a toll on her marriage, but also made them stronger, and what her husband said when she was having surgery, and the surgeon came out and said, Claire's tubes look terrible. They're torturous. Do you want me to remove them? So it's a really interesting story, and the craziest and coolest thing, you guys, is that just yesterday... Claire had her rainbow baby. So spoiler alert, she does have a baby at the end of the story, or she does get pregnant at the end of the story. And I emailed her this week to tell her her episode was running. And she said, I just had a baby five hours ago. So if that's not the universe, I don't know what is you guys. Anyway, thank you to Claire. Congrats on the babe. I hope this story gives you guys some hope. And without further ado, this is Claire's infertility story. Claire, it's so good to talk to you. I'd love to just start at the beginning and and talk about, you know, did you always want to have kids? Absolutely, Allie. So if you would have asked me probably when I was a kid, you know, I'd probably tell you the the normal stories of, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be this. I want to be that. But I think deep down, I always kind of knew I wanted to be a mom. I feel like I'm built to be a mom. I have the heart of a mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, there was never really a question. I always thought I would be a young mom. Um, So here I am, you know, 32 years old. I always thought I'd have a couple kids by now, but you know, Mm -hmm. life throws you curveballs. Yeah. I've always wanted to be a mom. Okay. So tell me what happened as you got older and started to think about actually building your family. Yeah, absolutely. So back in, 
Oh, geez. It's 2021 now. I keep forgetting. I know. Me too. Uh, But in uh, my early 20s, back in 2011, I actually was married before Mm -hmm. and I had gotten pregnant and I was super young, super naive. And unfortunately, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really known the statistics back then. I didn't know that it was so common. I remember going in for my 10 week ultrasound and wasn't able to see the screen. I knew something was wrong. They got on the phone. They wouldn't talk to me. They called my doctor and they said, your doctor wants to talk to you. And when I picked up the phone, they told me that, you know, the baby didn't survive and that I had had a missed miscarriage. Mm. They said, We'd like you to immediately go to the hospital and uh, get some tests run and just confirm what we think to know to be the truth. And so, um, it was a pretty traumatic experience for me. Yeah. I'm so happened. sorry. No, it's okay. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And um, unfortunately that marriage did not work out and, you know, just moving forward, I just kind of wanted a fresh start on my life. And so in 2012, um, in about a two weeks time period, I had a, a friend that was moving from uh, the Philadelphia area where I was living at the time and where I grew up to uh, the Virginia beach area. And kind of went to him and I said, hey, do you need a roommate? And he said, sure. And so within two weeks, I packed up my life and I moved south and and never looked back. And uh, funny enough, the day after I moved here, I went to a party a couple houses down the street from where I had moved into. And it was uh, my husband's birthday party. Oh, wow. Okay. Within 24 hours, met him. We ended up going our separate ways for a couple of years. But um you know, got back together and ran into each other in 2014 and the rest is history. Wow. Okay. So then how long before you and he, after you got married, started to, to try again or try, I guess, for the first time. It's uh, to unpack it a little bit. When we first started dating, I had just, um, a couple months prior had a back surgery. So I went through, um, quite a few years of dealing with a lot of chronic back pain. Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where I had a back surgery, thought it was going to fix it. It didn't, um, the whole first year of our, our, our relationship before we got married, um, was lots of doctor's appointments and trying to figure out what I could do to make my back better. We went through a lot of medical things together. You know, he had, uh, injured his finger at work. So he was home for a couple of months. I was home with my back surgery, Mm -hmm. um, about nine months into nine to 12 months into our relationship, he had a cancer scare. Oh gosh. So we've had a lot of like medical trauma that's mm-hmm. happened in our, in our, in our relationship. And then, you know, after we found out it wasn't cancer, we got engaged and married five days later. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that point we're like, okay, you know, eventually we do want to settle down and have kids, but I don't even know if I can carry kids at this mm. point with my, my back. I mean, there were points where I couldn't walk. I mean, it was just completely debilitating. So a little bit after we got married, I had found a fantastic surgeon. So about a year after um, we got married in 2000, oh geez, my first surgery, my second surgery was probably back in November, 2016. I had a two-level spinal fusion and was hoping that would be it. And I kept telling my doctor, you know, I just want to have kids, you Uh know, to be able to carry a child and, and be a present mom. Yeah. Had that surgery and, and months of recovery. And eventually about, I would say maybe nine months later, 
um, August, September of 2017, he said, go for it, go live your life, have a baby. And that was probably the best news we could have ever received. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So once uh, we got the the green light, I went to my um, gynecologist and just had a preconception appointment thinking, you know, I'll just do my pap smear. We'll do everything. We'll get the green light, make sure everything's good to go. They said, go for it. Shouldn't be a problem. And so spent about a year, about a year of trying where it was, you're in that naive kind of positive thinking, well, well no, it's going to be us a couple months go by. Oh no, it'll just take a little longer. And you're just so convinced that, you know, it's just going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. And um, every month got a little bit sadder. Um, every month got, you know, the wind knocked out of you a little bit and you start questioning things. And about a year in, we decided to make an appointment with my OBGYN. And I was convinced, you know, I had a girlfriend that said, Oh, my doctor just put me on Clomid and uh, I conceived and everything is fine. I was like, okay. right. You know, you just think that that's going to be you too. Totally. Uh, so I remember making that appointment. I went in, I said, Hey, it's been a year thinking I was just going to get a prescription leave and get pregnant within a day. And, uh, instead I left with a pamphlet that said infertility and mm. I was devastated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did that feel to get that? Yeah. I remember sitting in the parking lot and I just cried. I called my husband and I cried. I called my mom and I cried and I just couldn't understand why, you know, I had done so much um, to my body with my back and procedures and all these things to be ready to have kids. And now here I'm facing an infertility diagnosis and I didn't understand. It just didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how was it? How was your husband feeling? Like, how did it affect you guys as a couple? Trevor's amazing. He, he is just so optimistic and positive all the time to the point where sometimes it makes me incredibly angry. Cause I just want him to be negative with me. You know, I want mm-hmm. him to just to see all the negative things I see and uh, to plan out every single thing. If you know, this doesn't work, then we do this. And I'm, I'm very much a planner. I'm a type A personality, you know, OCD anxiety. That is me all the way. And he is just like, it'll all work out. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work for a planner, you know? Right, exactly. So you guys, he's optimistic. You're not so much. What happened next? So we were refer- referred to a um, infertility specialist in our area, a very well-known, great history. Um, everyone swears by them. And so, you know, naive again, walk in thinking everything's going to be fine. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll figure this out and, and we'll get it done and, and we'll get pregnant and we'll be able to move on. And, uh, I think our first appointment was in November of, uh, 2017, no, 2018. So that Mm -hmm. was a year after we started trying and walked in and they said, Oh, everything looks good to us. You're kind of unexplained. That didn't really make sense to me because how would they know? They didn't really run any tests, but here I am naive thinking they're doctors. They know what they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. And instead of being this, you know, long appointment with lots of information and going home and thinking about it, they just kind of sprung it on us like, hey, you're cycle day three. Why don't we get you into an IUI right away? So here I find myself first appointment in an ultrasound room, looking at ovaries, saying everything looks good to go. Here's a prescription for letrozole. We'll see you back in a week. Wow. (laughs) You're like, okay, it's all happening. Yeah. And I remember looking at my husband as I'm, you know, getting dressed for the ultrasound. And I'm like, are we really doing this? Like, is this like, I'm just kind of wide eyed, but optimistic and excited. And, 
and we just went full force and went right on into it. And we prepped for our first IUI thinking that's it. You know, one of it, it's going to be great. Like who cares about the cost? Our insurance didn't cover it. One of them, it's fine. We'll do it. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. And of course it failed. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, then we're like, okay, well, what can we do before we do another one? And they said, you know, there's some diagnostics. We can do HSG, make sure everything's, you know, cleared there. Everything looked good. So we're like, okay, we'll do some more IUIs. And then we did three more back-to-back. So four total. Okay. Ourselves really kind of settling into the whole, okay, we're going through infertility. Um, Right. um, And it was really hard. It was really hard. You know, I, my whole, I felt like my whole kind of identity was put into infertility. You know, I had stopped working due to my back issues and felt like if I went back to work, I was giving up on the hopes of being a mom because the plan was for me to be a stay-at-home mom for a while. And, Mm. you know, everything was consumed with it 24-7. I just felt like, you know, what is my purpose if I'm not going to be a mom? This needs to work. And I just went full force into it. Um, It was really, really difficult, really hard when Mm -hmm. coming after years of fighting for my back and getting that together. And now this there was times where we didn't know how to handle it. And it definitely took a toll on our marriage at times and we butt heads a lot. And, but we also came together and it made us a lot stronger. Yeah. When you guys were having low points, how did you like find your way out? Oh man. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's so hard to explain. There's just, I feel like it gets so frustrating and it just drains every single part of you at times that you just almost have to like let loose and let go and and be frustrated with each other. But in the end, you're both doing it together and you both feel the same way that you come together and, and, and it makes you stronger. I mean, sometimes you just kind of need to word vomit all over the place and just be Mm -hmm. all those things, but it, it makes you closer in the end. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, communication's key. It's not always easy to do, but you just do the best that you can. Right. Okay. So after a bunch of IUIs, what was, and they weren't working, like what's, yeah. then was it like, let's move on to IVF? Yeah. So, you know, we never really thought we were ever going to have to do IVF, but after our fourth IUI fail, we had looked at statistics and they say generally after the third one, it's not looking too great for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Get an extra one just for good measure. And um, I remember walking into my doctor's office after the fourth fail. And I said, you know, we, we can't afford IVF. Um, insurance doesn't cover it. And we just can't afford it. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. Like, do we just give up? Do we adopt? Do we, you know, what do we do? Mm-hmm. But well, you know, we actually have uh, a great opportunity for a clinical trial that you would be a great candidate for. Okay. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, I have no other option. So yes, get me into this clinical trial. And so it basically was um, a study being done on a new IVF drug that was a human cell derived stem stem drug, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it basically doesn't give you the the massive results of many, many eggs and follicles like normal IVF does, but it's more controlled where it produces better eggs is basically how it was described to me. Okay. So like quality over quantity. Exactly. Exactly. Uh Yeah. So basically they said, you know, you have to get, you have to be qualified. You have to apply. Um, it's going to take a couple months. There's only three rounds. Each round only has 10 women. And, uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands across the world that are trying to get in. 
something. Of course, it's not going to be me. There's no way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no way they're going to choose just me. And uh, a couple months later, I think it was May of 2019, we get the call that I was in first round. We were accepted. Wow. That's cool. That must've been like a relief because now you're like, okay, we have a plan. Yeah. I remember um, standing in my kitchen and my husband coming home and he just looked at me and I was sobbing. He's like, what? And I just, I could barely get the words out. We got in and we just kind of cried and laughed together and just couldn't believe we thought for sure after everything, this is it, this is it. Mm Yeah. It it was a discounted price. Um, Never thought we'd get the opportunity to do IVF. So we just were ecstatic. So that's awesome. Yeah. About a month later, things kind of geared up and started up. And, you know, one of the most difficult things about it was that it was a blind study. So we weren't allowed to know any information, even my ultrasounds. I wasn't allowed to see the screen. Um, I continued to inject my stomach every day with medication and tried to listen to my body to see if I was having any any symptoms that I actually received the drug or was it a placebo? Mm -hmm. Um, We had no idea. Uh, it was, it was a really tough couple weeks. Um, I felt like I just didn't even know. I really didn't know what to think. I didn't know, am I doing this for nothing? Am I going to be the person that gets a placebo and nothing happens? And then we're back at square one, you know, is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And I think that just follows suit with the rest of infertility. You just never know if it's going to work or not. Right. So um, I didn't know anything until I woke up from my retrieval. And so that was June of 2019. Um, found out that I had 12 eggs, nine were mature, five fertilized, and we ended up having two that made it to day five. Wow. Okay. So yes. how did that feel to get those results? You know, my husband was very optimistic. I didn't feel like it was enough. I, oh. you know, I'm someone where even if I get the best news, well, it could be better, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we ended up transferring within the, the contract of the clinical trial, you had to transfer a fresh embryo. So we transferred one fresh embryo, we froze the other one. Um, you know, unfortunately, both of the embryo qualities weren't the best, but they always say, you know, sometimes the, the worst quality looking ones make beautiful babies. So um, we were very optimistic. I was just totally convinced that this was going to happen. And uh, within a couple of weeks before I even got to my beta, I started spotting, Mm. contacted my clinical nurse and she said, you know, sometimes it's normal. I just had that gut feeling that um, it didn't work. And um, I ended up starting my period. And I, I don't think, I think that was probably the lowest point that I got to in Mm -hmm. our journey. Um, That night, I just sobbed like that deep guttural sob where you just can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband just told me and I just sobbed for, I don't even know how long. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's devastating. It's this loss of an, an idea, the loss of this, you know, when you, it, it's so hard, you know, I don't want to take away from, from the loss of like a miscarriage or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, embryos are a loss too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just a loss cycle, but it's a loss of this life that you created. Totally. Um, this idea that of what you thought you were going to have in this, you know, you, you already project nine months down the road and, and what that's going to look like. And, and when it doesn't happen, it's, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So who did you go to, to like 
help you get out of that dark place and like recover from that? So we were really lucky pretty early on in um, at least the infertility aspect after the first year um, when we started going down the the doctor route. Mm -hmm. Um, Within the first couple months, we opened up to our family and friends. Um, We have a really good group of friends here. Um, We have a, a Bible study that we're involved in that has just supported us from day one and has just been nothing but encouraging and supportive. And so, you know, I have some really close girlfriends. One in particular went through a little bit of infertility. And and so she kind of understands what I've been through. My best friend, uh, Jen, who's been in my life for, you know, over 15 years, who I could, I could call her at 3am and talk nonsense and she'll entertain it. So right. I love those friends. (laughs) Yeah, they're the best. Yeah. So, you know, our family has been incredibly supportive. Um, My husband's been my backbone. After the the first transfer that failed, um, you know, it was still unexplained. I still had nothing to go off of. I didn't understand, you know, how, how could we be at this point, you know, and it, it was hard for me not to reference, you know, my previous marriage and where, you know, I didn't really try and I got pregnant and it was super easy. And I just didn't understand how my body was failing me. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to my gynecologist and I begged them. I said, listen, I don't have infertility coverage. If I do a laparoscopic surgery through my infertility specialist, my insurance will not cover it. Will you please help me out and do this surgery? Tell me if I have endometriosis and, uh, got them to do it, got my insurance to cover it. And that was amazing. And went in for surgery, super optimistic thinking they are going to find out what's wrong. I'm finally going to have an answer. We're going to have a reason as to why we haven't gotten pregnant yet and be able to move forward. And so, um, day of surgery, my mom came into town from Philadelphia and, uh, my husband was in the waiting room with her. I went in for surgery and about 20 minutes into uh, my surgery, the, you know, the, uh, phone at the front desk had, uh, rang and, and I guess my husband was called up and they said, Hey, the surgeon wants to talk to you. And my husband's like a deer caught in the headlights. Like, I don't, okay. You know, is, is my wife. Okay. And supposedly she said, Claire's tubes look terrible. They are torturous. Do you want me to remove them? Mm. And he just, I can't even imagine. I mean, thank God I was, you know, underneath (laughs) anesthesia because I don't know how I would handle a situation like that. If it were me, um, here he is faced with, do I say, sure, remove pieces of my wife's body, even though we haven't talked about that. That wasn't even a part of the discussion. Oh my God. I've had an HSG. My tubes looked clear and fine with that. So it was never, never even a part of the thought process. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, wrestled with just a couple minutes to figure out what to do. And he just said, no, leave them. Like, I'm not making that decision. Absolutely not. Uh-huh. I just thought that was an odd position for that surgeon to even put him in. Absolutely. You know, that's a whole other thought process. But basically I, you know, woke up from my surgery I, I see my mom and, and my husband and I, I could just tell that something happened. And I think they're trying to play it off. Like everything's fine. Just wake up from, you know, your little nap and we'll talk about it later. And I just drilled them like what, what happened? What'd they find? What'd they find? And they told me, you know, my tubes look terrible. And, and I had stage three endometriosis. Mm-hmm. 
So I finally had a diagnosis, but in that diagnosis, I didn't understand and had never heard of anything happening, you know, with the tubes like that. And so I was at the time diagnosed with bilateral hydrocalpics. Okay. That your tubes are torturous and they secrete a fluid that is basically toxic to embryos. Right. Okay. So I felt like, well, my body killed my embryo, Aww. you know, and failed me again. And so here I am wrestling with now I have to go get my tubes removed and, you know, another procedure, another surgery, you know, I just felt defeated. Yeah. And so I decided to sit on it for a little bit and, uh, I decided to get a second opinion and I happened to be up in the Philadelphia area for my mom's 60th birthday weekend. And there was an infertility expo happening. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to go walked around kind of like at this point felt like I, I knew of everything that could be done. Right. I saw a doctor's office had a little booth set up and was talking to them. And, um, you know, honestly, the first thing that caught my attention was that they offered a military discount for their patients and my husband's prior Navy. Okay. That right away kind of was like, Ooh, I kind of like you, you're going to save me money. Mm -hmm. Um, But after doing more research on them, I I found that, that they were incredible. It's actually RMA of Philadelphia, um, Mm -hmm. that would require me to travel, but it was worth it. And so I decided to book an appointment with one of their lead doctors. And, um, in that appointment kind of gave me all the reassurance I needed, uh, information that I didn't know, um, that was in my charts that was never told to me. Like I have low ovarian reserve for my age. That was never said before. They never said that to you, but it was in your chart. They never told me at the prior infertility clinic. They told me at all the time in the world, they said that there was, you know, a small male factor that was never brought to our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what did they say about your tubes? Uh, oh yeah. And so that was the biggest part. He said, your tubes are open. And oh I my said, God. Okay. And he goes, you can't have hydrocelpinks and, and with your tubes open, it's just not, he's like, if you want to be tubeless, then go get your tubes removed. But um, there's no need to touch them. Wow. I died. And like, are you sure? Like I'm questioning him. Like, are you, cause my surgeon almost took them out a couple months ago. Are you sure? And he assured me, don't take them out. There's no need to. So wow. I was like, okay, now I need to reevaluate everything. <laughs> right. So for anybody listening, it's always so good when there's these major decisions to be made to, and if your gut's telling you, no, get a second opinion, right? Absolutely. Ask the, around. Opinion saved. I think that the rest of my journey, honestly, mm-hmm. Yeah. So once that second opinion was made, kind of looked at my husband and was like, well, I want to switch doctors. But at the same time, we still have a frozen embryo back in Virginia. And so we decided to move forward with the last embryo transfer with the clinical trial. It was the medication was covered for the transfer within the first year. So we're like, you know, let's get this out of the way. It's basically close to free. Let's just, if it works great, then it works. And if it doesn't, we still have a path moving forward with this new doctor. And so we ended up doing our second embryo transfer. I did not feel very positive about it. And unfortunately that one did not work as well. Mm. So we then had a consultation with the doctor again about moving forward with IVF. We were blessed enough to be able, my husband got a new job where we had infertility coverage for exactly one year. We had one year to basically just go all in and do everything that we could. Okay. 
with this new doctor, he kind of gave me a timeline. He said, you know, you're looking at about three to six months. You kind of need to get the ball rolling and get in there and get some eggs and some embryos. You know, we don't want to see your ovarian reserve any lower. So time is of the essence. And so I definitely felt that pressure. We had kind of talked about, you know, January, February of 2020, we would do some diagnostics. I did, uh, you know, mock transfer. I did a hysteroscopy. I did, I did a, uh, ERA biopsy. I did an endometritis. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, let me do all the things. Yeah. Let me do all the things. So we did a lot of diagnostics and then everything was going to be set. Good to go. March, 2020 to do IVF. Mm-hmm. And so all while all of these diagnostics, I'm traveling five and a half hours one way to the Philadelphia area. I'm living with my mom. At some points I stayed with my dad, which was incredible. I don't know how I would have done it if I had to stay at hotels and Airbnbs. It was great to be able to stay with family and did all these diagnostics, staying away for my husband for weeks, if not months at a time. Come March, we're finally getting the green light. You know, we're, we're close to that six month range of that suggestion to get, get going and get some babies on ice. And the day before I was supposed to start stims and my injections, um, the country shut down. Mm-hmm everything shut down. And okay. I, I don't even devastated isn't even the right word for it. Yeah. I felt like, well, that's it. I'm never going to be a mom. Right. You know? No one had any idea in March, how long that was going to last with COVID, right. you know, medical procedures. It was, it was terrible. It was terrible. I really felt like all hope was gone at that point. Yeah. So you were one of many people where that your cycle because of this stupid fucking pandemic is postponed. And that's like you said, devastating is -hmm. an understatement. Yeah. I pled, pled with my doctor's office. I said, listen, I've already done the birth control. I'm already in it. Um, I'll I'll go stab myself with the first needle right now. Like if I'm officially in it, can I stay? And they said, no, there's nothing. I just sobbed on the phone. They probably thought I was a psycho case. Mm. I tried anything, you know, cause I felt like if I wait any longer, my ovarian reserve is going to go down and it's not even going to be worth it at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, insurance covers it. Yes. To an extent, we were still paying thousands and thousands of dollars for medications and it still costs a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. So drove home five and a half hours. It was a very somber drive. Um, I actually think I've spent the majority of the time listening to your podcast. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a, um, a godsend during that time. Oh, I'm glad it could help. No, for sure. I mean, I think this platform's amazing. And there were, you know, certain ones I would listen to and I'd be like, oh, I never thought about that. Maybe I should, I should ask my doctor about that. And it kind of gets you out of your tunnel vision where you can start thinking about um, things that you've never considered before that might be a real um, a serious consideration for you. Right. Um, so yeah, for sure. It was definitely a lot of time spent in the car, a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Uh, went home. I spent a lot of time in the kitchen cooking and um, in my pajamas, just like everybody else. And um, just waited for that phone call of when we could start back up. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got very lucky. Um, our clinic ended up opening back up in May, which I think is pretty, pretty early con- compared to most. Uh, yes, that is lucky. Yes. So May packed up, went back to the Philly area and geared up for IVF. And so, um, very aggressive protocol, lots of injections. Um, I did my second, uh, retrieval in June, all of my monitoring appointments, everything looked really good. Um, Mm -hmm. 
hormone levels were great. Uh, you really couldn't have asked for a smoother experience except for me feeling like I was crazy on hormones, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I had around 21 follicles and everything just looked really, really good for a successful retrieval. And, uh, I woke up from that retrieval and they said, we got seven eggs and I didn't understand. I, I was like, okay, am I still asleep? Am I dreaming? Um, am I not fully aware of what's going on? Like, how could I only have seven eggs? I had right. follicles. It didn't, it just didn't make sense. It took me and I kept asking them and they were looking at me like I was crazy. And like, I don't understand where my 14 eggs, where, where did they go? And they said they were empty. And I just never even considered that to be an option. Mm-hmm. I had no idea you had, could have, like, I knew you could have one or two follicles that were empty, but 14 maybe. Yeah. And so, you know, here I am thinking this is it because my ovarian reserve is low and COVID's a real thing and this is expensive. And, you know, we have seven eggs, only four fertilized, and we ended up with two frozen embryos. Okay. And so, you know, at that point, it wasn't financially smart for us to move forward genetic testing for only two. Um, financially, it just didn't make any sense to us to do that. It's very expensive. Mm-hmm. So you were going to like batch them and wait for more well, and before you got them tested or no testing at all? No testing at all. Gotcha. Um, it just financially at that time didn't make any sense for us. You know, totally. it's so hard when you're you know, weighing decisions on emotionally what you want to do and what you think is the right thing to do. But also financially, you don't want to eventually have a kid, but then have no money to raise it. You know, it's, it's such a hard process to go through. Totally. I think so many people can relate to that. The financial piece of this puzzle is so hard and so debilitating for so many, you know, people just can't move forward with cycle after cycle, after procedure, after test, after this, after that. Right. Yeah. So Basically, we just kind of, my husband and I looked at each other and said, okay, we have two. Is that enough? Here we have two, you know, non-tested embryos. If only one takes, is one child enough for us? And we looked at each other and said, you know, if one is all that we have, we will be more than happy with that. And and we'll be, you know, we'll move on with our life and and change what we, we thought was, you know, what we pictured. But if we have the chance to have more children, we want it. And Mm -hmm. if we were to transfer an embryo now and get pregnant a year down the road, we may not have that chance with my ovarian reserve levels. So we fought long and hard and we were blessed to be able to get some help from family. And we said, let's go for number three. Mm -hmm. So we did our third round of IVF in between, you know, June was my second retrieval. I think I went back in Oh, geez, July or August, I had did a, a little bit of a different protocol with some, you know, S-trace priming, mm-hmm. ready to go, went in for my ultrasound monitoring, and my ovaries were not responding at all. And I had a couple cysts. So that cycle was canceled. So that was the second one of 2020. I had to go back <sighs> home. That was very sad. Yes. Then, you know, finally, in September, we were able to move forward with our third round. And, uh, very successful. We were shocked. I couldn't believe it. I had 19 follicles of those 19. We got 16 eggs mm-hmm. 10 fertilized and we made it with nine frozen embryos in the end. Wow. So, so adding to the other two or nine total? No, we had 11 total. Wow. Yes. So here we are. We're like, well, now we have more than enough. <laughs> what are we going to do? We have 11 babies. We can't have 11 kids, you know? So you know, how drastic of a conversation it was. Uh, we were very pleased. And, um, 
now we actually found ourselves facing an embryo transfer and a promising one at that. We had incredible grading of our embryos. We were really excited all while in the midst of, you know, our third round, we had sold our house, bought a new one and decided to just throw in everything else you could into 2020. We did it. Right. <laughs> like, let's just make it a little more complicated. For sure. Um, we had moved into our new house and within a matter of like, I think I was home for 12 days. I was back in Pennsylvania and I was uh, prepping for my embryo transfer. So we did our first embryo transfer day before Thanksgiving. And I think so that was the the 24th of November. Mm-hmm. So still not tested, right? But good gradings and all that. Still not tested, fantastic gradings. And uh, actually, no, I think it was the 26th. I can't remember. My brain is full of okay. too much and information. But did, did they just, they choose the, the best one, the yeah, healthiest one? So, yeah. So that's what I assumed. They basically said they'll look at everything the morning of, and then they'll, the embryologist would come in and talk to me once I got there for the transfer. Unfortunately, my husband was in the car. He couldn't come in, which that's a whole other side of going through infertility during a pandemic. Um, yeah. it's so hard because you're doing everything by yourself. Your spouse can't come in with you. Right. And that's a whole other side of infertility. I'll, I'll never understand when it comes to the spouses, you know, my husband at times, he's like, I don't feel like I'm involved <laughs> and I don't blame him. Cause here we are, you know, we're the women, we have to do everything to our bodies and the husband just, just kind of sit on the sidelines. And right. Yeah. It's hard here when, when you need me, <laughs> that's about it. So mm-hmm. he was in the car, uh, embryologist came in and I was assuming they would just take the best graded embryo, which I had the best one I had, which I believe is the best you can have is a six AA. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had one of those and I figured that would just be it. And she came in and said, this is the embryo we chose and it's the four AA. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. Why not the six? I thought the six AA was better. And she said, well, the 6AA was a day six embryo. The 4AA is a day five and technically day fives are better. Mm. Okay. I trust you because I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Plus yeah. all that we should note that all the gradings are different depending on the labs too. Yes, exactly. And that's another thing that's so confusing is every single clinic is different. Yeah. There's no universal grading, which makes no sense to me. Right. But at your clinic, okay. So this is the best for you. Yes, this was okay. the best. So what happened? I know what happened, but I want you to tell everybody. (laughs) uh, The transfer was amazing. It was actually a pretty calm experience. They allowed me to FaceTime uh, Trevor. So he was able to be involved, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the picture we got of the embryo was, you know, the normal circular embryo. And by the time that they went to transfer it up on the screen in the surgical room, um, it was hatching. And I have never seen an embryo hatch before. Cool. Um, and so it just, it was a great experience, got in the car, you know, put my seat back and I'm like, I'm laying down, I'm not moving, I'm not doing anything. You better break slow. Like, you know, all those things. We right. McDonald's fries, which is a huge myth, but I did it anyways. Totally. You have and, to uh, just relax. Went back to my dad's house and, and laid in bed for a while and, and rested. And five days after transfer, I decided to test early because I'm crazy and I don't know why I don't have any patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people do. I know it's crazy. It's I, I told not myself to. I'm not going to test early. And I did like the earliest day you could. <laughs> um, and my husband was sleeping. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to take this test. I'm just going to hide it under the sink. I'll look at it later. I just want to do it before he wakes up. Cause if it doesn't show up, I don't want him to get discouraged. I'm not going to show him, you know, it's too early. Right. I went back and laid down in bed and I'm wide awake. 
for a good like 15 minutes. I'm like, I know his alarm's going to go off soon. I'm just going to go look at it real quick before it wakes up. And I go, <laughs> and like I you're like, torturing yourself. Oh, I'm torturing myself. And I look at it and I have a really dim light on in the bathroom because I didn't want to wake him up. And I see this like faint line. And I'm like, there's no way. Then the bright light goes on. I look at it and I go and I wake up my husband and I go, Trevor, I think there's a line. And this is the running joke for the past, you know, almost three and a half years of trying is Trevor, I think I see a line. He goes, no, you don't. You always think you see a line. It's never there. Cause I always like imagine this line. And it's been this like every month thing where I'm like closing my eyes halfway, trying to imagine this line being there and it's never been there. Mm-hmm. And so I wake him up and I said, Trevor, I think there's a line. He goes, oh, geez, let me see it. <laughs> Just right away. He, he knew like, oh, this again, the line thing. And he kind of looked at it and he rubbed his eyes to wake up a little more and he was, I see it too. And we were both in shock, both in shock. And I'm like, okay, I got to get another test. And so I'm like running around and grab another test and come to find out the two I took were expired. Cause at this point we had been trying for so long, my pregnancy test expired <laughs> down the road to write it at five 30 in the morning. He gets a test. It comes back and it's positive. So mm-hmm. I was in shock. Trevor's pacing around the house. Um, we just, we, we couldn't believe it. We found out super early. I think it was only three weeks and three days, mm-hmm. but then I went and got my, my beta test. Everything looked really good. I still can't believe it. I, yeah, it, it, it's, it's pregnancy is wild. My hormones are crazy, but at the same time, um, anxiety is a very real thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about that as we kind of wrap up, you know, we talked about a little bit before we started recording, but it's true that, you know, even after you get pregnant, that doesn't mean that the infertility is gone. You know, the PTSD is real. The anxiety is real. The scanxiety, as we've been calling it at Fertility Rally is real. So tell me about your experience with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I dealt with anxiety even before going through infertility. I dealt with anxiety with medical doctors, given my history and given that I've had a miscarriage before, I just in general, don't trust my body. And I always feel like my body's going to fail me. So any little twinge or any little thing that I feel, I think, oh my gosh, something wrong is happening. And I never, I hate that my first instinct isn't to think that that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like I get so prepared for the worst case scenario because that's always been the thing that's happened. The anxiety really does take over at times. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I hate that I can't be more excited. I have prayed about this and, and hoped for this for so many years. And now that it's finally here, I feel like it's a bit tainted. I can't really enjoy it to the fullest extent. And mm-hmm. I want nothing more than to do that. I don't want to be someone who kind of is in the shadows thinking, oh, I don't need help. No, I'm going to seek out talking to someone because I think it's super important to take care of your mental health at the same time, you know, just because you prayed for this and you wanted this doesn't mean that you have to be excited about it 24 seven. You can struggle through it too. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm trying to just be okay with the fact that I'm pregnant and that it's very exciting. And at the same time, lean into the fact that I'm struggling too, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's hard. It's something that, you know, you wait so long for. And then when you finally have it, you're just so terrified you're going to lose it. And um, all while dealing with, you know, a pandemic and it's a very isolating experience. This is not what I envisioned my pregnancy to look like. I wanted to be able to go out and go shopping and meet my girlfriends for coffee and all these things. It's been difficult, but 
every day it gets a little better and I get a little bit more excited and the planning stages start coming in where you start thinking, okay, what does the nursery look like? And what do I want for this? And right. Uh, so yeah, it gets exciting. You know, one of the things Trevor and I've decided in the end of all of this is that a lot of, there's been no surprise when it comes to infertility, you know, even down to the conception of your child, you know, exactly when it happens and there's just no surprise to it. So we decided to not find out the gender and mm. have a surprise just for us uh, when that baby makes its appearance. And, and so that's something we're really excited for and we get to look forward to. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And Claire, congrats again on the little babe. Her name is Emery and they call her Emmy. She's super cute. So if you guys want to follow Claire on social, it's Claire Maldonado 9, M-A-L-D-O-N-A-D-O 9. And I also wanted to tell you guys, as I always do, that Fertility Rally is here for you if you are going through this. This is the community that Blair and I created, Blair Nelson of Fab Fertility. And it is a place for community and content, resources, discounts on fertility-friendly products and wellness products. We are constantly updating our site to have more videos and all this great content. We have two weekly support groups, one's for infertility and one is for pregnancy and motherhood after infertility. So we would love for you guys to check it out. Our wait list is open now. So go to fertilityrally.com and throw your name down and we'll let you know when we open the first week of every month. You can also check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally. So we always say it's the worst club with the best members and it truly is. So we would love to support you if you're going through some shit. All right. Thanks for listening. Love you guys. on a tax return hopefully it ends up in your hands fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30 percent in 2023 if you're in a bind this tax season lifelock can help our u.s-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues and all lifelock plans are backed by the million dollar protection package so we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft help protect your information this tax season with lifelock save up to 25 percent your first year at lifelock.com aware